I do all the sound post. That's fine. So, however you want to set up the mic, I'm saying. You want to tilt it, it goes up and down, all that. No. Oh, so you're not going to, like, play with those dials? Nope. No. Sean makes too much work for himself. It's this part right here. Probably. These mic stands are cool. Yeah, they're like 10 bucks. Really? Amazon. Send it to me. This is this is would be helpful. And it's got like this nice. It's nice metal. and heavy. Yeah. Yeah. I would I would definitely uh, if you could send this to me. I think these are good. Yeah. Ten bucks, I think. Yep. All right. Here we are. Welcome. Do you uh, do you do like an intro, or do we? Is this I, the intro? I, yeah. Is it soft intro? Soft intro cool. into a nice thing. I usually just put music over it in the beginning. Nice. That's a Diet Coke I'm drinking. Yep. So Ross paper scissors. Episode eight. Nice. Um, we have here Lord Anthony Spark. That's true. <laughs> I was going to say I'm not a lord, but then I am. Thanks he, to he you. He owns one square foot in a, a town in Scotland. Um, so I, I appreciate you actually calling me by my regal title. It's the first time anyone's done that. <laughs> um, so a little bit about Anthony. This is uh, easier because he's got a lot of things, I think. Um, he is husband to Lady Callan Spark. It's true. Father to Phoenix Pierce and Paisley the pup. Uh, friend to every single person he meets. Uh, business owner, entrepreneur in the conventional sense, as well as a social entrepreneur with a lifelong mission to make a massive global impact. Mm. One of the founders of several charitable organizations and community-driven organizations such as V1 Church and Operation Impact. Mm. Uh, mentor, coach, and sought-after international keynote speaker. Author who wrote a book in 24 hours, and when we say that, we mean he dictated the book in 24 hours. He didn't physically write it in 24 hours. Need to make that hard line uh, right there. Great company if someone wants to do that. Speak it to book. Caleb Brakey. There you go. Uh, host of the Extraordinary Excellence podcast. It's true. Ordinary people doing ec- extraordinary thi- ordinary things. Extra- no one knows. Crap. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I knew it, No too. one knows. No one knows. Uh, top-tier semi-professional athlete at miscellaneous sports, such mm. as ping-pong, can-jam, and croquet. I think ping-pong would be arguably untrue. Oh, you're better than me at ping-pong. Well, thanks. <laughs> I've seen you be some people. Self-acclaimed semi-professional. Yeah. Well, you know. By my own stats. What, what is a semi-professional? That's true. Not a professional, but better than most? I guess. That's what I say. Uh, I call you know. myself a semi-professional photographer because I own a fancy camera. That's fair. Well, I own I own an Amish hand-crafted, hand-crafted and carved croquet set. So if that's, that's our qualification, yeah, you got the equipment most people don't. And then uh, he's also many many other things. Overall, awesome guy. How's it going today? Thanks. How you doing? You know, it would be cool is uh, if people walked around and and said intros like that. I mean, I don't care who you are. Like you're just a normal person that walks around. But I really appreciate all the kind things that someone says. Well, when yeah, you come if someone who doesn't know who you are, they're gonna learn through this episode. But you know, just a brief intro. Well, thanks. I, I do that for everybody. It. I normally ask the person before they come on here, what are some things that. Mm. They are uh, some accomplishments, some things that they're proud of, some accolades. Um, But I feel like I know you pretty well, and I've known you for a little while now, and I know a lot of your accolades. If there's Mm. anything you'd like to add, anything you're proud of? Um, You know, I say I am most proud of having a functional family because that is very overrated how difficult (laughs) and how emotionally aware and healthy you need to continually strive to become to have a healthy marriage and to be a healthy parent and to raise a functional family i mean i think most people probably don't grow up in a 
functional family across the board. I mean, there's variations of dysfunction from highly dysfunctional to overtly and, you know, more covertly dysfunctional. But I'd say that, that I'm most proud at striving at that. Yeah, I'd say so. The normal things are the tough things, you know? Yeah, so I think that's a good segue to an intro question of, well, first of all, let me express that the point of this podcast is to not only get to know you, or I mean, I know you pretty well, but for other people to get to know you and for to to make you seem more human. I mean, oh, okay, you've been cool. doing a pretty good job with the uh, Alive at 515s. A lot of people see a normal side of you, but I feel like nice. a lot of people look at you as all these accolades that I just said, you know, keynote speaker, you know, one of the founding members of E1, Operation Impact, those types of things, you know, fancy guy wearing a fancy suit on a fancy stage kind of thing. And they say, and you, and they know that you're pretty pretty well off, you know, successful mm. business owner and such, and they think that you're a certain type of way or you must act a certain type of way or you must have done a certain type of thing. Sure. I want to have people on here from all different walks that have done different things and be like, normal people. Yeah. All that stuff's bullshit. And um, anyone that doesn't say that that stuff's all bullshit, then they're drinking their own narcissistic cup, I think. <laughs> uh, you know, just because what you're doing produces more income or what you're doing is more public facing or what you're doing creates more fans or notoriety in no way shape or form makes you more important or what you're doing more important or any different being good at communicating and speaking what what's different about that than being an amazing artisan or a great landscaper or a great doctor it's just it's just a skill i mean as humanity, we're, we're very specialized in a network of experts that we, we outsource all these different things to, but everybody has the same human condition, the same human needs, the same, everybody eats and drinks and, you know, has a family and loves and enjoys time and hopefully anyway, and just, just normal, you know? Yeah. I'm glad you told me what the premise is though, because uh, I don't listen to anything really. I don't listen to my podcast. I don't really <laughs> listen to much of anything. So <laughs> I wouldn't have known. <laughs> I, I made sure to put it in there. Yeah. You do yeah. much more reading than listening. Yeah, I listen to audiobooks, but like I don't even listen to my own audios. Understandable. That'd be a lot to listen to, especially when you're recording like a live at 515 every single day. Yeah. I don't know. You know, I mean, I learn a lot. I just. I, I just okay. there's so much, you know. I mean, I know, I know you have uh, differing uh, uh, values and beliefs, but Gary Vee is the same way. Yeah, I know. He I've doesn't listen to own, his, he doesn't read his own books. He doesn't listen to his own stuff. Yeah, but you know. Yeah, he never. He said he never reads or listens. I mean, that's that's another extreme. I can I can see where he's coming from. Yeah, but, anyway. but yeah. So I guess um, I have no plan. Who are so you? you? Who are you? Me. Where you come from? What was your life? I mean, you're talking about one of the things you're most proud of is having a functional mm. life, uh, functional family life, functional marriage, that kind of thing. Where did you come from? Because I know that it's not, it's probably the opposite, it's complete opposite. Well, <laughs> let's let's first let's first acknowledge the jury's still out. We'll see how functional my family is. I got 20 years, you know. I mean, it seems to be. I hope it to continue to be. Looks good. Um, but uh, we're uh, we're early in the race, so. We haven't finished that race, but I, I had a lot of, my family's crazy. My dad was in prison. My mom was a single mom, and I just, I just grew up with a lot of people that just didn't know what they were doing, and I think that a lot of people don't understand why they do what they do. They don't understand the implications of traumas in their life, and they don't have really clear philosophical 
decisions they've made or clarity on the way they're looking at the world. And I just, a lot of people in my family were just lost and they continue to be lost. I mean, they're just, you know, it is what it is. But I wanted to have a different life and I didn't want to continue living like that. And at a young age, I really started to just seek wisdom and seek understanding and try to find some meaning in all of all of what is what is life why are we doing these things like what who, who am i why like why are we operating with all these rules and constraints why are we deciding what we're doing and i just wanted to find a path that was not de being addicted to drugs and having broken trauma in all the relationships in your life you know so that was the beginning how'd you get to where you are now like business-wise, you mean? Virtually everything. I mean, it's all it's all started on the same path. Yeah, so when I was 18, um, I really didn't know what direction I wanted to go. Um, I knew I wanted to make a lot of money. Not that I wanted to make a lot of money. I, I, I in, the, in the world we live in, if you don't have a large amount of income, your options are limited. And I wanted to be able to live on Long Island and have a family. Most people don't realize the reason you're financially struggling is you don't make enough money. I mean, that's just the reality. To have a middle-class life on Long Island is probably a hundred to $300,000 more a year of income than you realize. So it's very difficult, specifically, if you're going to live in this consumerism, keep buying, keep doing, and not actually understand that the more things you buy, the more things you need, and the more things you need, the more debt you have, and the more debt you have, and the more comfortable you get with debt, and you get stuck in this cycle. But I had to make a lot of money. You know, I wanted to be able to have a life. I want to be able to travel. I want to be able to do things that mattered. I want to be able to impact people. I wanted to say, okay, what's going to actually matter 100, 500 years from now? And really the only thing I could ever get that I felt mattered was the impact you have in people's lives. And while that may be transient because the people that you help or the things that you do or, you know, whether it be a small moment of someone laughing or a major piece of information that helps someone's life, ultimately they'll be gone. But what's the net positive multiplication effect of just helping people reduce their suffering and have a better life? So that was really what my goal was. When I was 18, I met people that seemed like they had, from all the things I saw, the most freedom to be able to be financially independent. It was stories of people that I had come from nothing and had built tremendous companies, and that's what I wanted, you know, and I was very flexible to what I would do to get there. Um, as long as it was, you know, moral and legal, I, I was down. I didn't, know how, I didn't care how hard it was. I didn't care what it was. So now that model was very flawed, and I think one of the good things sometimes, it's good and it's bad, you get in a relationship and get married young or you get into a particular vocation young or a particular business, I think that your naivety helps and hurts at the same time because I think that at least for certain people, me included, if you were to get involved in some of these things actually knowing how hard it's going to be and what it's going to entail and you know, scratching all that idealistic gloss off of that that idea of marriage and that idea of relationship, that idea of, of career, most people wouldn't do it, you know, but at this point, everything was very 
highly glossy, shiny, idealistic, and I wanted to be a part of an organization of people that were like a Knights of the Round Table, you know, that, that a legend of people that were going to help the oppressed and do the right thing and have true, real, lasting bonds of loyalty. And I started building a company online, you know, and we leverage different things. And, you know, we could talk about that if you want to or not. It doesn't really matter. But through that, I worked my guts out. I decided at 18, I was going to have kids. I want to have kids in my late 20s, approximately. So I said, basically, from 18 to 28, as far as I can tell, all that's really good for is learning and spending time with and socializing. That's basically what 18 to your late 20s is in our post-modern first world life. So I said, I'm willing to sacrifice all. I'm willing to sacrifice every shred of the next decade if I can build the foundation and then buy the rest of my life when my time starts to become more meaningful. Because once I have kids and once I have family and once I have responsibilities and once I've identified the charities, my time starts to become a lot more valuable. So I will invest this less important time now and not do drugs and not smoke pot and not drink and not go to parties and not do a lot of those things that I'd like to do. I'm not going to spend the time doing fiction and you know learning the arts I want or per- pursuing traditional school. I very often... I never wanted to go to traditional school, but I always loved learning. So I didn't, I didn't not go to college because I thought it was wasteful. I didn't go to college because I knew I wouldn't be focused enough to be able to do the kind of work I'm saying and the kind of focus I was saying and to go to school because I know that if I'm in an environment where there's girls and drugs and drinking and parties and there's all these things that I can go learn even if they're not important, I'm going to go do all those things. So I didn't go because I wanted to focus on this 10 years. So you know, through that, I was able to leave my job at 25 from building that. Not really healthy. Uh, just kind of worked out that way. You know, I'd taken <laughs> seven years with no college degree and I'd charged down this path and you know, I was let go at a job and you know, I didn't really want to stay home indefinitely, really, because we were making okay money, you know, but it was not nearly enough. I mean, one of my regrets is financially is if I had made money, but when you roll back, the thing with regrets is you start to look at things and it gets like warped, you know. So if I go back to that time, I did not try to find a job. I went a lot of job interviews and how the job interviews would go is it would say, oh, well, you know, if you, why don't you have a college degree? And I'd say, well, I've read hundreds of books and doing these. And they're like, what, what have you been doing the last seven years? You know, because I was 25 at that point. And what do you, that leaves me with two options, three options. I can make up a story and lie, which if anyone knows me, regardless of the cost, I just seem to be unwilling to do. I'm not unable. I'm just unwilling. Like someone asks how I, I just can't, I just can't just leave it lie. I don't know, but I would make up a store. That was one option. The second option is I could say basically nothing and just let it stand. I did nothing for seven years. Or I could say that I built a business that was doing a million dollars a year revenue. And none of these options work. Because if I did nothing, then why am I? I'm too talented seeming. So it seems like a flight risk. It's weird. Because <laughs> it's like you're too talented to have done nothing. So you're either lazy and not saying something or you're a drug addict or something. Or it was like, well, if you built this thing, like why would we? You, now you're a flight risk. We're not willing to invest in you because you got this other thing. So it kind of put me in that. And I can relate to some people listening to this that are that overqualified spot. It's really shitty because it's like, uh, th- thank you. Thank you so much. I'm, oh, I'm trying to get a job. 
I'm I'm too qualified to have a job. So you're saying I got too qualified where now I have to starve. My family has to st- I can't find a job now. I'm too qualified for a bad job, but I can't get it's like ridiculous. It's like a weird spot. It's very frustrating. But over the last few years, our companies now do a few million dollars of revenue, and my wife was able to leave her job. And, you know, we now have a, a substantial six-figure income for now that um, provides a really great lifestyle and bought, for me, the most important thing, uh, which was time with my family and to be able to choose and to be able to, to pursue things I didn't want. And I continue to strive to have enough of a financial foundation that my values and my decisions are never having to be considered with money, where I can do what's right regardless of the cost and not have to worry about the repercussions for my family. And maybe I get there fully or maybe I don't, but I guarantee my kids will have that. Well, they'll have the financial foundation where they cannot be bullied into doing things because how many people that are listening to this are constantly in this existential crisis of being bullied into doing things that they don't believe in or want to do or have to do and have to contradict what they truly want because of money. You know, and I think a lot of people live in that reality. So anyway, um, no one's ever accused me of brevity. So anything in there, <laughs> anything in there you want to take? Yeah. Um, I'm also not in a light mood today, so if you want lighter, you're going to have to ask lighter questions. Yeah, no, I mean, I, we'll we'll get to the lighter questions, but I feel like, you know, we want to add some value too. I think that was heavy but good. Mm. Someone's going to get something out of that. They do, they do. If they don't, who cares? <laughs> I, I say that to everybody. I say I you don't have to it. listen to every episode of my podcast. If you think it's stupid, don't listen to it. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. Um, so what is what does a day in the life look like? Because a lot of people hear you say that you no longer work a traditional job and you just yeah. have this online business and they say, well, what the what is a guy, him and his wife, what do they do all day? Yeah. Uh, well, there's a few categories of things that I do. Um, I can talk about my habits, but if you're saying vocationally, oh, what that, do I do? Well, habits, actually, one of the things Nicole specifically wanted me to ask you was you've been running every single day with three miles a day for like 140 days or something it's like, like 156 that. 156 or 157 days. I could, tell, I could tell you. Hold on. That was a – I left the mic. Stand by. I have a note in my phone. As of the first, it's four miles a day. Which doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a significant it's difference. A lot. My I body's could. feeling the difference. <laughs> I can't do it. Um, well, not right now. I, I could work my way up to it totally. if I so desired. You totally. I've just uh, never been a fan of running. Yeah, I just love running. People are like, oh, well, you know, you should work out because it's better for you. I don't want to work out. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Like, I, I know that. But, you know, running's better than drugs. So, yeah. like, it's like, yeah, but running, you're not going to have any muscle. It's not that. Okay. Okay. It's better than sitting on the couch, you know, like, leave me alone. You're not running. No one's telling you you got to run. Uh, okay. 567 miles in the last 159 days. It's like a little bit more on average of like a three and a half miles if you go all the way back. My longest in that stretch was 10 miles I did once. So what's something that's, what did Nicole say? What's the most beneficial thing that you've gotten from running every day or learned from running every day? It's a lot of things. Um, for myself, I find that seasonally and in life, I go through different cycles of being very productive and then not being productive or you know, having like one habit, one good habit begets a bunch of other good habits, but one bad habit can beget a whole lot of other bad habits. So for me, doing the same thing every day and committing, it does a few things. First off, it gives me 45 minutes 
of an anchor in my day that I have where I'm getting my blood rate up and my blood pressure up. I'm getting my heart rate up and I'm just able to think or I'm able to listen to a book or I'm able to just do what I'm doing. That continuity day after day, that ritual, creating rituals in our life is absolutely vital for us to maintain any consistent habit, any consistent life. Because what it does is when it's every day, not most days, not some days, and it doesn't have to be running. But when you do something every single day, it's a marker, it's an anchor, and you can start to stack other habits on it. So if I'm going to run every day, that means I have time before that I can start doing. I do things before my run every day, and I do things right after my run every day. And I started to make it where I go out and I run, and some days I, I listen to music and I'll take notes. Some days I'll read. Either way, I now have an organized system of things where I'm going to get my running clothes on before 10 a.m. You know, I am out on the road some days earlier, some days later. Today was a little bit of a later day. That's why I was late here. Um, you know, one of the reasons. <laughs> but um, I run, and then I take notes because I'm going to do a live at 5, or I'm thinking. So I always journal. And a lot of – sorry. A lot of people think journaling – there's a lot of ways you could do journaling. You know, I use some days – a lot of days I'll use a five-minute journal thing, which is things you're grateful for, some affirmations, what would make today great. But really all journaling is is you're taking your thoughts and just putting them out and just organize, you know, whatever it is. Sometimes I have ideas. Sometimes I have thoughts of creative ideas I may or may not ever pursue. Sometimes it's feelings and reflections on things that have happened. But I take that time to get notes down every day. That gives me content. It gives me reflection. It gives me, you know, it gets the stuff out. Even if you're just getting some stuff out and it doesn't go anywhere. I meditate and I spend some time praying and meditating. I use along a route. I have, there's like this weird green bench. You know, it's like this built out thing. It's like a little... Imagine like kind of like pressed like like uh, whatever that bo those boards are. They're like the chips just painted like a dark green like in a house like over a bench. So I just it's on the way. It's like a it's like probably two tenths of a mile from my house. So every day I end my run and then I sit there and I take at least one mindful breath per day. It's this book I read. Uh, I don't remember. It was maybe, um, you know, I don't know. I'd have to find it. It was a book on meditation. And it just said to just take one mindful breath a day. That's something you can do. It's another thing from Atomic Habits that you make micro habits. It's something that can be done every day. So every day I sit, I take a breath, I think, I pray. Some days it's minutes, some days it's 10 minutes, sometimes it's 15, sometimes it's 30 seconds. But every day I do that in this order. What has it done in my life is I think that just from a bio chemical point of view, it equalizes you out because every day you're making yourself move from a psychological level. It makes you do things you don't want to do. And it trains you that this is who I am. I'm not my thoughts. I'm not my feelings. I'm my actions. I'm going to do this no matter what I feel like. And then every day I take an ice cold shower. Every day I take an ice cold shower. It's been a few days I took a hot, then I went to cold. I'd say 99% of the last 156 days. And I'm talking 20 degrees, 30 degrees, raining and wet, running outside, inside to an ice cold shower because it trains you. First of all, there's a lot of psychological or, or physiological benefits from a mitochondrial level and different things that I've heard. But even whatever, I, I can't prove any of that. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. From a psychological level, it's I do what I say I'm going to do. I do what I, I do what I know is right, not what I feel is right. I'm not going to allow creature comforts to put me in a position. I feel like creature comforts, I think that they're an enemy. 
in our life. I think that people are becoming so weak and so unwilling because what happens is a want eventually becomes a need. And we have these luxuries that then become necessities and we become enslaved to all these things. So even just the fact that I take a cold shower and I go out every day, no matter what the weather is, gives you mental toughness. It gives you that feeling when you don't feel like doing shit, that you have that ability to get yourself to do something and to be able to show up. Because there's lots of days everyone has that you just don't want to show up. You don't want to do anything. And I'm not saying that I show up perfect on those days, but I have found that I show up infinitely better on those days than I used to. And those what might have been weeks now might be hours because of that muscle of working out, of doing what you don't want every single day, regardless of how it feels, and overriding your feelings. A lot of people let their feelings drive their actions, and you're never going to win that way. You know, you have to have feelings, but you can't let them dictate your actions because they're never going to be consistent enough for you to accomplish anything in your life you truly want. So those are some things. (laughs) Yeah, no, totally true. Like, especially I always relay. I feel like a lot of it relays back to um, Outwitting the Devil, which Mm -hmm. is one of my favorite books. And he talks about those creature comforts, keeping people stale or stagnant. And it's just like you said, the the wants become a need. It's like, oh, my God, I need a Starbucks today. Like, and those people that get a Starbucks every day, multiple times a day. I literally saw um, a video on Instagram of this guy who's. Uh, his accountant called him and said, like, hey, you had a lot of money go through on your Amex this year. Like, I think we need, like, it's way more than last year, blah, 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 whatever. And they look at the statement where it's broken out. Dude spent six figures on Starbucks in one year. Yeah, I mean, it's not as hard as people think. That's like, just that is sharing. insane. You just buy it for everybody. You're buying it for the office. You're buying for this. I mean, I'm, I'm certain he didn't drink six figures of yeah, but himself. Still, I mean, but it's like... That's a lot of coffee. It's a tremendous amount of when, coffee. Especially when you could like make it at home. Yeah. I mean, if you get six, if you get 10 specialty drinks at about six bucks a pop a day, and you do that every day, and you're just buying people drinks and whatever, I mean, 60 times 365, I mean, I don't even think that's six figures. I don't know what, how many coffees coffee this buying. I don't know. I, the story might be suspect. No, he showed, he showed the statement. That's like, why. Like, broken out. Well, I don't know. Was, like, was he buying, like, star? He's buying, like, Frappuccinos for a Coliseum? <laughs> you know, like, an arena? Know. I don't know. Um, and I, I get it. Like, I don't, I don't blame it. Like, a lot of times people, they misinterpret. Like, they make it like you're trying to be holier thou. And, like, I'm not. Like, I just, I have to fight every single day against the urges to do those things. Like, if I would have just give in to my urges, I'd just be smoking pot on the freaking porch, you know, and drinking (laughs) and eating trash. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I think that that, I think that most people, because they they demonize addiction, being addicts of different things, and as long as you're going to demonize addiction, you're you're just totally in the dark because everybody has addictions. You might be addicted to escapism on video games and TV, and you crave it, and you need it. And if you took that out of your life, you might really struggle. It might be food. It, sometimes it's sex. Some, there's infinite numbers of addictions that you can pick. Just because it's not a substance that causes you to steal money like heroin doesn't mean you're not an addict. And, and, and when you have an addiction and you have a desire to do something, it's an everyday battle. 
every day of sobriety. And that's what life is like. That's what habits are like. It's every day. And some days you win and some days you lose. And some days you do better. And some days you're proud of what you did. And sometimes you're ashamed of how you perform. But it's a battle every day. This doesn't go, I don't think, and maybe it does for someone else. Maybe they're more pious or more better. But for me, I don't, you know, some days are easier than others. But I don't think any of these things go away. You know, we got to show up every day. You know, you want to be a good husband. You want to be a good dad. You want to be a good friend. You want to be a good partner. You want to make good decisions. You want to build a good future. It's every single day that we have to show up and be willing to do that. And that doesn't mean that you work every day. Like, I hate that's what we talked about with Gary Vee, like the grind, grind, grind. That's just workaholism posing as family values. That's straight up bullshit. <laughs> you need to really think about who you're listening to and not let anybody brainwash you. You got three tiers. Most people are brainwashed by lies and bullshit. That's the worst place to be. Slightly better, although not much, is being brainwashed by truth. Still my ideas. If you, if you listen to me or someone else or I don't care whether it's freaking, you know, the Dalai Lama or you're going to take it from, you know, Christian priests or saints. Or you're going to take it, you know, from anyone. I mean, anything. You need to. Number three, which most people never get to, is learn to think for yourself and, and look for truth. And what's real and what's not, but I am really, really against the workaholism and the consumerism and the materialism. Everything that people are working so hard to find, you already have. It's a trap. It's a. Tra it's not real. None of the shit's real. People are like, and a lot of times people will talk to me, and they'll be like, or not talk to me. They'll listen to me. Some people are listening, and they're like, this guy's like in the clouds, like... <laughs> You know, like this guy's like, you know, what are you talking about? You act like my ideas are weird when you have a pocket full of ideas. It's called money. It's no intrinsic value. It's literally an idea. We just all agreed on it being real. These things don't really exist outside of our collective imagination, our collective commitment to say that they're real. What if instantly, what if at some point enough people said that this money's not real? What value does it actually have now? Nothing. It has no value. What people are looking for they already have. It's in your life. It's in your family. It's in time. It's in peacefulness. It's in joy. It's in, you know, spending time quietly to think. I mean, we're all we're all running because most people don't want to really look at what's going on in their mind and their heart and their soul because it's shitty. So they run away and they just keep escaping. They escape to work. They escape to food. They escape to this. They escape to that. And again, I'm not blaming, you know, we all do it. But Gotta at least say it's real. Why? Where are we? How we get here? Uh, what's a day in the life? Oh, day in the life. Hmm. Most of the time starts with running. The babies? No, it starts with the babies. So I'll tell you what my day is. Every morning, there's a halo hanging from the corner. Now every morning, there's a <laughs> Phoenix and Pierce come in, and they climb up in the bed, and I snuggle with Phoenix, and Callan snuggles with Pierce. They climb up into the bed. I then go back to sleep. Callan works out. Five days a week at about 7.30 in our home gym that we built with my sister and Stephanie. I lives in the same complex with Kayla. Baby, stay with me. Um, I will sometimes, you know, get up with them and do blocks. Or sometimes we'll just lay in bed. Or sometimes we'll read a book. Um, I'll have an excess first thing in the morning. Then I'll make a French press of coffee. I'll usually do my five-minute journal and read my daily stoic book that Sean gave me. It's like a one-page thing. Um, I'll get ready for the day. I'll write some agenda stuff down probably while I'm with the kids. Sometime, depending on that organ that order of things, 
I'm going to take uh, a focus pack and I'm going to, you know, drink an energy shot and then I'm going to go on a run. And I will most days listen to audiobooks. Typically, weekdays, I listen to an audiobook at two to three times speed. Usually on the weekend, I'll listen to music, but it depends. Sometimes I'll listen to half and half. Depends how many thoughts I have. Too many thoughts, I don't read a book because I need to listen to music to work through my thoughts. I run four miles usually, sometimes four, sometimes every day four for 2021 is my, my number, sometimes five, sometimes six. Uh, I stop, I meditate on that bench. You know, I pray, I meditate, I think, I consider, I think about like all the people that, you know, at one time the American Revolution was happening there and I kind of just think about the different times. I write notes down. I get ready for live at 5 typically around that time. I start to get my rough ideas together or any content I'm going to do. Come home. I take a nice cold shower. Uh, I put my stuff, you know, in the laundry. You know, I do laundry. try to do laundry to stay on top of it. And then I'm with the kids most days. Uh, Callum mostly takes care of them. You know, I might do some appointments. I might be in my office. They go to my mom or a babysitter four days a week. Um, usually fast until about 2, maybe 4. Um, if I fast, if I fast 18 hours, no matter what I eat, I pretty much won't gain weight. Um, if I don't fast and I eat whatever I want, I'll very slowly gain weight with my running, very, very slowly. But I'm talking like, you know, like eating like a a huge box of pasta and then like three scoops of peanut butter and like a Ben and Jerry's like pint, like major calories. But if I just fast, I'm pretty much fine. And uh, at nights I do some speaking, and that's really good. I do a few appointments, you know. I, I spend time with the kids. I mean, the kids are a lot, and Callan does most of it. You know, me and Callan have a very special relationship. If it wasn't for Callan, me and Callan couldn't exist without the other. And a lot of people just don't realize. They think, like, I find that a lot of times there's, like, a lot of couples are just, like, individuals. We wouldn't operate. We don't operate. I, I, I'm very strong in a lot of areas. Callan isn't, and she's very strong in other areas. And we really have built a collective a collective relationship where our strengths are, and none of us could, neither of us could do what we do without the other one. So, but Callan does a lot with the house and a lot with the babies. And that's really it. Like, I mean, I just kind of go day to day. I never know what's happening. I just do it the next day. Because Callan does the scheduling on the calendar. Callan does most of the scheduling. I've mostly moved it to Calendly. They came with a whole bunch of new work processes. So I'm working on getting that automated. I try not to do anything on Sundays, you know, work wise or anything, you know. I try to do the least amount of work possible. I mean, my goal is to, to be as efficient as possible and do the least amount of work possible. You know, I, my goal is not to like get my name on the side of a building. It's a lot different, and a lot. Of, and it's not. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I just think that people need to really think about what is your goal, and to not malign other people's thinking. Everyone's in this world where they think they they I agree or I disagree. That's such a shitty way to look at everything. You'll never learn anything that way. Look to understand. Don't look to agree or disagree. It's not your place to agree or disagree in most cases. No one probably asked. Look to understand. This merits lots of rights and lots of wrong ways to do things in life. Lots of preferences people have. So, But that's kind of my life. So values are very important to, I believe, a successful life. Having values, striving towards your values, living by your values. Just speak on that for a little bit. What are, what are your values? Why do you think they're important? You know, um, if you don't have something you're working towards, then you're just, everything's random. Everything's already random. I mean, there's already <laughs> enough chance to be, you know, to just stop, to just be carried along. One of the things that makes any human being happy is 
creating and having some deterministic control of the direction you're going in the areas you kept. Uh, now, this can become a liability when you try to control things that are not meant you can't control and stuff like that. But to create and to go in a direction and your values need to dictate what kind of a life do I want to live? Most people don't realize that the core values we all hold are almost always the same. The thing that changes is the syntax. It's the order. It's the what's the top priority. Like, you know, um, a good example is we have these two competing ideas that we hold in our minds that are totally incompatible. Now, human beings as a whole are really, really good at holding contradictory things and pretending like it's fine. It's like part of our like whole deal. But we have this thing of equality and everyone having inalienable rights where you truly are valued at a soul level, this you know, liberalism kind of an ideal, which comes from monotheistic religion where you are ind individual and important, which is, you know, but, you know, that that's come this idea, ideal of equality that everyone needs to be treated fairly and honestly and being against racism and being against discrimination and being against, you know, people that are marginalized or maybe not in the same way. You have this idea of equality and then you have this idea of personal liberty. The reality is that no, neither of those things can both uh, totally happen. Total personal liberty leads to major striations of wealth where then you're just like cool with people dying without health care. That's what ultimate personal liberty means. That that's Don't infringe on my rights. The only way to create equality is rights need to be infringed on. So what most people don't realize is that the Democratic Party values equality, then values liberty. The Republican Party values liberty, then equality. It's not that different, but it expresses very differently, particularly as you go towards the edges, because full personal liberty, if you think about it, is going to be very discriminatory, and full equality is going to be a communist type of an ideal. I'm not here to say which one's right or wrong, but anyone here needs to really – I think that the people, what people need to do is they need to look for similarities versus differences. The similarities are greater. We find what we look for. If you can only look for differences, you can find a few superficial differences that seem like they're a big deal, but they're not. They're mostly similar. So what are some of my values? Um, I strive to – be a person of integrity, and I, I feel it's important that we make the right choice regardless of personal cost, which is difficult. You're always fighting against self-preservation, but I think that the right choice is always ultimately going to bring the right thing even if it has a cost to you, and I've made some choices that could have cost me a lot in my life, but I don't regret any of those choices. The choices I think we all regret are when we take the bribe. It's when we take the thing that we know is this maybe isn't right. You take the money for the job you don't really want that's not really doing the right thing. You take the decision that's the easy way out that you know is not right. I don't think any of us are proud of those. So I strive to be a person of integrity. I really think to myself, am I modeling the kind of behavior and the person I want my kids to be? Would I want my son or my daughter living in the life that I'm living in? And if the answer is no, then I need to work to make changes. So this way they are – because they, they can only do what they see. And if I don't model the kind of life 
that they, they that I want them to be able to have, and that goes with mental health and happiness. I believe that being honest and having candor is important. You know, I believe that having the courage to share. Now, it's this idealistic world to think that everyone should just openly be honest all the time. That all human society breaks down. That's also not true. But I think striving towards that and getting as close to that as we can is important. I believe that uh, I believe in generosity, and I believe in really using our influence, our power, and our privilege for those who are marginalized. You know, I don't remember, I read a quote today, it's Martin Luther King Day, I read a quote that there'll never be justice, there'll never be justice until those who aren't discriminated against are as passionate about justice as those as are, that are, something along those lines. Um, and I believe, I, I've always believed in standing up for people that are being marginalized or, you know, have prejudices against them. I just don't, I don't think that's right. So I think that being willing to stand up for what you believe in, and I also don't think that people have to or should believe everything that I believe. I just think that you should really continually struggle and wrestle with your beliefs and really think about why do I believe this and where did this come from and is this true and I think you should be changing. I don't think that your views should stay the same. If you vote for the same political party in the same way for your entire life, I question your thinking. I question your, your willingness to consider what's true and untrue and where you got the information. So I, I really value a willingness to be growth-minded, to continue to grow and to change your stance and to just seek truth. Um, but giving generously, I think, is huge. I, you know, I, I, I believe you should, if anyone's listening to this podcast, the amount of privilege that we have is tremendous. To not acknowledge that is silly. The fact that you can listen to a ridiculous podcast and have the device, the time, effort, to be able to just waste time listening to learning something potentially puts you in a very privileged class of people. So I think that we need to consider that there are billions of people not living in that reality. And I, I don't think it's, I don't think this view that we're so much morally better or harder working is accurate. That's nonsense. That's, that's, that's straight up bullshit to make you feel better to say that you deserve, that you're like a superior person. And I think generosity needs to come from a place that People aren't poor because they're not hardworking. They don't have the infrastructure in a lot of cases. They don't have the opportunities. A lot of it's luck, a lot of it's chance, a lot of it's a lot of things that you couldn't control. You know, the reason I have the income I have isn't because I'm like so much more amazing. I had a lot of lucky breaks. I had a lot of aptitudes that I didn't earn. I didn't earn my ability to communicate or speak. I didn't earn my ability to think or to I, I didn't earn any of that. So I think generosity is a really, really important thing that, you know, we work together and share of our talents. Uh, what else? Um, anything else that you think of? I mean, I don't have, like, an organized order. I don't have, like, a... Yeah, I'm just know. letting it go. <laughs> so what's 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 your over-encompassing mission? What's your, your, what do you want your legacy to be? You know, it's a good question, and I don't know if that stays static. Yeah. Like I said, um, the only the only thing 
I really can see that matters is how much better we're leaving the world and the world is mostly thinking. Ideas, thoughts, and collective imagination drive everything. So you don't save the environment or you don't save people by the physical act of saving them. Way, way before that, there needs to be an idea, a thought that gets bought into by a collective imagination, by, the, by people to believe in something. So, you know, I talk about positively impacting tens of millions of people's lives. And it's like just one of those things where, you know, I don't know how much control you really have. Um, I think the best thing that could be said of my legacy is the people that knew me best and my family would say that I was a good dad and I was a good husband I was a good friend. I did everything that I could to maximize my position to the best of my ability to make a difference for those who can't. Solid. I think you're off to a good start. Thanks. Were you 33? 32. 32? Yeah. I'd say at this point at least thousands of people have been impacted to some degree for having known you or heard you speak somewhere or something like that. I appreciate it. You agree? I don't know. Uh, How could I know? It's hard to know, you know? Well, even even amongst people in your personal circles and your organization, a few hundred people, whatever that number is, um, how many people have um, sought counseling and saved their marriage or improved their marriage or gotten better jobs and paid off debt and and had a more... You help people build stronger foundations for their lives. Yeah, so here's, here's an interesting thing, and this is important, I think. How much of that impact? Was I a part of some of these things? Certainly. Well, I mean, a pin drop size of an impact pointing someone to the stop sign at the corner is enough to make sure, sure they go the right direction. Sure, and, and, and that's quantifiable that, yes, I, I, I potentially had some impact on some of these things. But I do think it's a dangerous thing where the emphasis goes outside of ourselves and the impact that we've made. Because what we're really doing is we're just, again, creating another dictator, we're creating another guru, we're creating another deity, another king, that someone else did it for us. It robs us of our personal power. So did I maybe direct, like you said, and point a direction, and hopefully my, my words and my thoughts and my writing or my you know content or my modeling or my business or whatever it may be, or advice I gave, or some time spent. Hopefully, and I would I would hope that some of those things helped to point it, but I don't think the people in my organization are successful because of me. If they are, it's 95% them and 5% me max. And I think it's important that my goal isn't to be like this person helped all these people. Although that's part of it, I think that it's more important that these people leave with the personal power and understanding that they're the captain of their fate and they're in charge and they're the ones doing the work. They're the ones making the changes. And that's not my thing to own. It's not my place to own someone's marital success or financial success. That's not, that's not me. That's them, you know? I think your phone is making that static. Is it? Maybe. But um, 
But yeah, no, I totally agree. the best throw. Yeah, no. I I mean, uh, I'm not saying... And I get what you're saying. And you make it pretty clear that you don't want to be anyone's guru or anything like that. But I know that there have been plenty of people that have been put in a position to share their story. And they point a lot of it. And they say, you know, if it wasn't for so-and-so, you know, Pastor Mike, Tony and Francis, Anthony and Callan, who... Mm-hmm. showed me to the corner or put point me in that direction then it wouldn't be it's it's just like you're saying before as far as being generous um you know giving something to somebody who doesn't have access to that thing sure um i feel like part of that and your personality of naturally being a generous person is giving your time or giving your words or giving your thoughts to other people who may not even not maybe have access but they don't think like you think mm-hmm. so you're able to give them a different perspective which i think a lot of people's successes has to do with changing their perspective on sure. things I think that is how um, ultimately virtually anyone who wants to make an impact can make the best impact is by not trying to be a guru. I mean, obviously there are gurus who make an impact, but I think it's just as silly as you do probably. Same. Yeah. I'm with you. Cool. So um, what are some things that you've struggled with on, on your journey to where you are now? Were you, I mean, you know, something you always talk about is, how you, you know, you didn't earn, a, a, you know, a high aptitude mm-hmm. or thinking skills and work ethic and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. What were some things that probably, that, that were troublesome for you or were shortcomings or yeah, things you like, know, things you've really had to work at to build up to get to where you yeah, are? Yeah, I find life is troublesome. <laughs> you know, I just find, you know, just existing to be a troublesome thing. You know, I've always found it just... You know, like finding meaning in things. Um, But really what it comes down to is all that is is just the level above driving a lot of the root issues that people maybe more identify with, which is, you know, substance addictions. And not that I was doing these hard drugs, but if you're drinking and smoking a lot, that's that's you're just escaping. You know, it's the same thing. It's this escapism type of a mindset and what you're trying to escape is pain and suffering you're escaping something that's going on um i've really struggled with responsibility i I struggle with hierarchy i really struggle with hierarchy which is like what our entire world is built upon i struggle being below i struggle being above i don't think i don't like either (laughs) i don't like being in charge i don't like having someone else in charge so i struggle with that constantly I continually have to I continually struggle with my faith and my belief and what I believe to be true um and my philosophy of life and I'm always considering and thinking about that um you know I've worked really hard to be a good husband you know I, I think I'm probably mediocre at best you'd have to ask my wife but I've worked really really hard to keep doing the best that I can um I work really hard to just not live for me, you know, every day. It's, you know, like to not live for yourself and to live for the future requires a commitment, you know. I work really hard to not climb the same prideful status ladders that I feel like a lot of other people are climbing. It's very easy. I think it's easy to become a workaholic and to mismanage your priorities. I I find that to be easier, particularly when the world is recognizing you and clapping for you. And quite honestly, when you're making those decisions, people are actually saying that you're lazy or you're, uh, you know, you're not, you don't have the right mindset. They, They debase you 
for not running up a ladder. You know what I mean? I just, I don't think that the value that we see in something is the same for everyone. And I'm not here to say that it's right or wrong, but I struggle with making sure I make that choice. You know, I struggle with this feeling, um, and maybe other people can, can feel this way of being like, like, what if I'm like in the Truman show? Like, what if I just like, (laughs) like make like a major beeline and like just move to Utah and change, you know what I mean? Like, not that I'm trying to leave, but just like, how do you know that this is everything that it's supposed to be? Like, you know what I mean? Because we kind of just go through all these different things. These things just kind of keep happening. And it's just like, but what What if I just I just did the other, you know what I mean? Like, because you know what I'm talking Like, this is like this force that just keeps you doing what you're doing, no matter what it is. And it might be right. I don't know. So I, you know. So psychosis, I guess, is what I struggle with, you know? I saw a thing about South Dakota recently, and I was like, wow, we should move to South Dakota, Nicole. She's like, why would we do that? I'm like, why wouldn't we do it? Just, just see what happens. Started, talk, started looking like, at houses the world? in South Dakota. <laughs> right, like, does it break? Like, what happens? You know what I mean? Like, nothing really happens. Just this, this like, these ideas, these guardrails just keep us on these tracks, you know? Maybe that's the right way. I don't, I don't know. I've always been on the tracks. Might be onto something. How many people talk about hating and living in the expensive Long Island area and never leave? I don't know. I don't know why they do it. Honestly. <laughs> a good the craziest thing is why people move here. Yeah, when That's people come here. Thing. You come here? You leave your fight. You leave your family? You leave your, your infrastructure to come here? You're special. You're, you are especially crazy. I met a guy recently who just moved here. Terrible idea. He should too bad he didn't call us first. Don't do it. He moved from California. I mean, I don't dislike it here. I'm yeah. not saying it's bad, you know, but, like, I have a whole infrastructure. I have my family here. Yeah, I look at this guy who came here from California, and he came from, like, the West Coast version of Long Island, like, as far as housing and, and live, or rather living expense, that kind of thing, except he had, like, way better weather over there. Right. And then he came here. He's going to he's in the middle of winter, like, a couple months ago. Like, I'm cold thinking about it. He's got crappy weather and stuff now. He's got cold thinking about it. Hey, puppy. Go lay down. <laughs> but um but yeah, no, it's crazy. So um what was I saying? Um your marriage, counseling. How important is counseling? Very or there you go. Very. I, I I feel like I have a lot of people that I've had on here are very saying are for the most part saying like you need to counsel it doesn't matter who you are. If you think you're healthy, you're probably not. Totally. Kind of thing. You speaking in that for a sec? Totally. Um no one likes counseling, but no one likes seeing the truth either. And no one likes dealing with hard things. So we can't discern all the things wrong in the world we're living in from the perspective that we're living in. And we don't know what we don't know, so we very often don't even know what something functional is or looks like or sounds like. So without seeking, now again, the downside and there's people that are really against it. You'll hear people that are so against it. Yeah. I find there's two reasons. Number one, first off, they're mostly afraid of the truth. And secondly, they have had experiences with bad counselors and the wrong people speaking into their life. If you don't have the right people speaking in, it can be worse than nothing. So it is important you have the right people and you choose carefully who the right people are to speak into your life. Word. Where do you think your life would be if you didn't have counselors? Divorced and a drug addict, probably. 
It's powerful. But I feel like a lot yeah, of people, people think it's hyperbole. Yeah, I no. don't think it's hyperbole. <laughs> it's a it's scary to think about that sometimes. Yeah. Where would you be if you didn't have someone to talk to? Hmm. Yeah. That kind of thing. I don't know. I don't really have any emotional attachments to it, you know. Maybe I need more counseling. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but yeah. It's Are you true. phlegmatic at all? No. No. I had a counselor tell me recently that phlegmatic people are very hard to counsel because we're a lot of times, like myself, just it's not very, very easygoing. Yeah. So it's like, oh, like, let's talk about this. I'm like, I think that's fine. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> Why do we got to talk about that? It's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I get it. Like, I can't help you if you don't want to talk about anything. I'm like, I think a lot of things are fine. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I get it. But, um, was there so, anything light on your list or just heavy? heavy yeah, no. Time? Well, now we got the light stuff. I, 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 I wanted to ask. I remember you saying something. This is just stupid stuff, but I remember you saying something about how you hate tuna. Do you still hate tuna? And why do you hate tuna? You know, I don't like things controlling me, and Callan really likes tuna, so she makes tuna regularly now. I hate tuna because I hate the smell. It smells like cat food, and I don't like cat. It's just gross. It just <laughs> grosses me out because there used to be, I guess, fish in the wet food my mom would give the cats. It just makes me nauseous feeling. Like Wasn't just, there something like you stayed at your grandma's or something? Smell. Uh, Wasn't there a story like oh, that? Oh, no. Like, my aunt made me eat, like, a sandwich, like a tuna sandwich when I was younger. But, you know, that, I don't really feel like that was bad. I just was like, I hate tuna. And it just, like, made you eat it. And she was just kind of just like, you know, whatever. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> it is what it is, you know? Like, I don't I don't remember being, I, I was, I'm a very strong-willed person. So I think I probably sat there for, like, an hour not eating it. And I'm like, I don't like, and eventually I just ate it because I'm just like, I don't feel like sitting here anymore kind of thing. Like my will's running out and I'm just, I'm over it kind of a thing. But that has nothing to do with it. I just never liked it. I just, just don't like the smell. It's really the smell. That's all. What's, what's something that not a lot of people know about you? That's tough because uh, I talk a lot. Yeah. And I'm pretty open. Hmm. You know, I have to go, like, deeper because, like, people ask you that question and you run out of things like that. So you need, like, a new category of things most people don't know about you. What's something that people often okay. assume about I you? I have something. Okay. I never watch comedies. Never? Almost never. Unless your friends make them. Yes. Very, very rarely. My choice of movie will almost never be a comedy. It will be a thriller or it will be a exploration of morality, you know, like something along those lines, the gray areas of morality. That's typically where I am. Or I'll watch a soap opera, Walking Dead. That's a soap opera with zombies. Breaking Bad, it's a soap opera with meth. They're all soap operas when you look at it. Um, you know, uh, Blacklist, soap opera with criminals. So it's a soap opera, though, no matter what way you cut it. So I love watching that kind of stuff. That's typically what I'll watch. So what are your some of your top favorite movies? Goodwill Hunting. Shawshank Redemption is really good. Um Tenet was amazing. I still haven't seen it. Um I think it's Tenet. I, I never know how to pronounce it because it's not Tenant. Oh T E N E T. Tenet. Yeah. Tenet. Hunt it. <laughs> um, I love Christopher Nolan movies, though. I love, you know, Inception. 
I love anything that Christopher Nolan makes. Um, other really good movies. It's hard. It's hard for me to remember. Um, I really liked um, Interstellar. I love Matthew McConaughey. That was really Dallas Buyers Club was good. He's been doing a lot of podcasts recently. He's got his book tour. Yeah. Which he's a pretty awesome guy. Like when you hear like the normalcy of how he's just literally just dude like grew up in a small town. Yeah. And just went out and made it. Yeah. Like really cool story. Um, I I started watching The Boys last night. Oh, that that's the spoof hero mo- uh, show. It's not right? spoof. It's uh, it's just an exploration of morality and power. It's the same thing. You know how power corrupts, and you know the superheroes are just literal assholes. <laughs> you know with no oversight. What what is it on? Is it on? Netflix or Amazon? It's on Prime. Prime? Yeah. But anyway. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, Airplane or something with uh, Denzel Washington or Plane or something like that. Um, Flight. It's Flight. That's another look at morality. I haven't seen it. Love that movie. I love Denzel Washington, though. I love Denzel Washington. I don't think I've ever seen a movie with Denzel Washington that I didn't like. Um, I also like Martin Scorsese movies. You know, most Martin Scorsese movies I really enjoy. So anyway, favorite sandwich from a deli: chicken cutlet, With bacon, Russian cucumbers, lettuce. Cucumbers, amazing crunch. <laughs> Very true. Pro tip: Is there cheese in there? Ah, uh, definitely pepper jack. Pepper jack. I'll have to try that. That's an yep. interesting one. Yeah, I'm good at making sandwiches. Pretty sure. Well, yeah, because you worked at your dad's deli, right? Yeah, I worked at delis when you were thirteen or something, right? Fourteen. Start like twelve. Scraping the freezers. Yep. <laughs> Favorite dessert? I think I know this. Tiramisu. Yeah, I knew that. Love it. I had but really, ice cream. Ice cream would probably be mostly my go-to. So, what's your go-to ice cream when you, when when you when you sit down at night and you guiltfully? Shamefully eat an entire pint of ice cream. No once. shame. No shame. No, I, right, I don't. So, eat, I don't so, do anything like that with shame. It's not worth uh, it. I, I don't. Either. I gave it up. I didn't give up the ice cream. I gave up the shame. Yeah, I don't feel bad about it either. No. What, what's what's your go-to pint? I love Ben and Jerry's. So many good Ben and Jerry's flavors. You know, it just depends. Um, I love Carvel. Do you go that I love night Friendly's. and buy the pint sometimes, or is it something that you see in the supermarket? You're like, I'm gonna eat that in two days. Usually, go and buy it. I nothing's lasting two days in most cases. <laughs> not not that kind of a thing. No. But there's um, I had this really good one that they sent like from there's like net it was like like a laugh thing it was free they sent me a free pint it was so delicious I couldn't find anywhere though it was like a special edition a uh, half baked is amazing um I had one recently that was just so good I forgot what it was there's one that has no dairy it's like almond brittle freaking delicious well, I've had that before it's really good so good so good anyway I love that I'm gonna pee my pants though we got one more I gotta go pee go for it. No, give it to we'll me. come back and we'll close out. Give it no, we can finish. I'm not gonna be that bad. I'm All just right, saying so. we got a clock on. <laughs> What's your favorite music? Nineties alternative. Nineties alternative. Straightforward, that's it. That's it. Nineties alternative. Pretty music, much anything. Any new in stuff? There. Post Malone? Any new stuff? Yeah. I like um I love Macklemore. Love Macklemore. Almost anything Macklemore makes. Um I love classic rock too. I can't reach my phone. I was going to look at it and give you some songs. <laughs> I love. Um, I think it's Panic at the Disco. Memories, memories do Panic at the Disco. Love Panic at the Disco. 
Uh, I like some old Linkin Park stuff. I like usually female vocalists. Paramore? Love Alanis Morissette. I'm okay with Paramore. I like some Paramore stuff. I love Alanis Morissette, Jewel. Nicole just literally downloaded those two artists on her phone. Plenty of songs last night. Nice. So we got in the car yesterday, and she's like, oh, look, you know these songs? you know these songs? Alanis Morissette came out with an album in July 2020. It's probably what she downloaded. So good. A blaze. Listen to a blaze. That's for you, Nicole. Um, so yeah, so something I always forget to do is play rock, paper, scissors. Oh, okay. So we have to play rock, paper, scissors. Ready? So just one, two, three, shoot. Okay. One, two, three, shoot. One, two, three, shoot. One, two, three, shoot. I fucking won. Do you not normally? I've only won. That's my second time ever. I always (laughs) lose episodes. I always lose. (laughs) Um, what are you excited about? Plug, plug everything. Handles. Uh, Phoenix, Phoenix evolution. Audiobooks coming out. Uh, as soon as ACX approves it, it's like the 17th try with uh, Aaron and Chris trying to get it through with all their qualifications. That'll be cool. It's mostly new content. And check out the Extraordinary Excellence podcast. And thanks for listening. And uh, it's great to meet you. Instagram handles. A Spark is Born. You can put it in the notes. I'll let you handle that. You promote whatever you want. I'm here for you. I'll put it all in there. Sounds good. <laughs> thanks for coming. Oh, thanks for I having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. This was mostly heavy. Very heavy. I feel like... I felt heavy, too. This, this will be good, though. I hope this so. will be good. I love you. Thanks for having me. Peace out. Peace out.